Uh, perfect chili and brownies and football weather, I think. Uh, about Friday, I was thinking, man, I don't know how many people are going to want chili on Sunday if it's going to be 72 degrees. So I appreciate that it's chilly today. <laughs> I don't care. I, I, like, I'm, I think it's funny, and, uh, and I, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, so you're welcome. Hey, uh, like Sarah mentioned, it starts at three. Football game starts at three, and if you're bringing chili or brownies, and want to help, you know, get that set up. You can come two thirty, two forty-five, or something like that. We'll have tables and uh, some outlets and stuff. You can plug, plug, plug up your uh, crock pot. Now, I will let you know, some of you are more into football than others, and so we're going to have something, a little bit of something for everybody. So out in the lobby, we'll have some games. And you'll be able to play, uh, you know, and hang out and that kind of stuff. But in the big room, that's going to be, be a little bit more serious. So uh, that's for watching football and eating, and that's, that's about it. So maybe, maybe a little bit of commentary and throwing things at the TV, you know, when something doesn't go well. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, none of that. Um, but uh, we'd love for you to come out and join us, uh, join us for that. Um, we are finishing up our series with God today, and uh, there's a, a book by Sky Jatani by the same title. And uh, I recommended that to you. And uh, commend that to you uh, throughout, throughout the sermon series. And we have a copy of it, I think, back on our resource shelf. That's back here where the couches are in the lobby. And uh, if you want to just flip through it and kind of see a little bit more about that. But if you have not read that, I highly recommend it to you. Um, as we've been talking about what it looks like to live life with God, we've kind of uh, contrasted that with some of the ways that we generally tend to relate to God. Just, just kind of naturally, um, you know, how we kind of tend to think about Him, but also maybe because of ways that we've been taught. You know, we've grown up maybe with people who have uh, taught us to think of God in a certain way, maybe even at church, uh, maybe our own understanding of reading the Bible has kind of led us into those things. And as we've talked about what life with God actually looks, looks like, we've talked about faith and we've talked about uh, the surrender that comes with actually understanding what life with God looks like. And we've also talked about hope and we've talked about the stability that comes from that, the confidence that is given to us when we have our hope in a life with God. And so today we're going to talk about the most important thing, and the most important thing of all is love. First Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul introduces this at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's talking about all kinds of spiritual gifts. And he says, the best thing, the most excellent way, I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. And he uses the whole chapter in, in chapter 13. Maybe you've heard it read, or at least a portion of it read at a, at a wedding. You know this maybe as the love chapter. At the very end, Paul says, this is the best thing that God has ever given us. And so when we think about life with God, yes, we think about faith and we think about the confidence and the hope that we have in him, but the, but the foundational piece of what a life with God, what it looks like, is love. And God's definition and experience of his love is what makes faith and hope in him so uniquely invaluable. And it's love that's meant to define how God chooses to relate to us and how we relate to him and each other. Now, all of us have a different experience and probably even, in some ways, a differing definition of what love is and what it looks like and how it's supposed to function. Um, we, uh, Sarah mentioned that small groups are gearing up now that we're kind of into the beginning of the year. In our small group, we just started a study that's called Love and Chaos because one of the consistent contexts in which we are called to live and find ourselves as human beings is, is life, I don't know if you've noticed this, can get a little chaotic sometimes. Uh, it doesn't always necessarily go exactly according to plan. At least that's been my experience. 
And the way in which we approach those things as followers of Jesus in a life with God is supposed to be contextualized by our love, at least the love that he has given us. Love is the distinguishing characteristic of those who follow Jesus and how he's called us to relate to, us, to him. Um, there's four different Greek words uh, for the word love. There's three that are used in the New Testament. Um, eros is the one that isn't used. It refers to physical or romantic love. Not that the Bible doesn't talk about that, but it just doesn't particularly use that Greek word. Um, it's not the most important one, uh, although you wouldn't recognize that in our culture. Uh, the three that are used in the New Testament, though, are storge, which is a little bit more like familial love is a way that you could think of that. Phileo, which is more brotherly love. If you think about uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that's kind of where that comes from. And then agape, which is the most important love and the love that is used to describe how we are called to relate to one another and God. When we talk about agape love, we're talking about the self-sacrificial love of God that transcends all circumstances in any context that we find ourselves in. Um, the passages uh, that we're going to read today, a lot of it's going to be uh, Johannine literature that we move through this morning in our sermon, all are using the word agape. And this is the type of love that God has for humanity, and humanity is called to have for God, and this is the type of love we're called to share with one another. A new command. This is John in chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And this is Jesus talking to the disciples. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A lot of times I think it's easier for us to think of this as more like an ideology. You know, the way of Jesus, the way that we kind of think about things in our worldview. But when Jesus says this, he's talking about action. Uh, it's, it's in verb form. He's saying this is the way in which you live. This is who you are. This is what you are to be. Uh, there's this, uh, when, when, I, when I heard about the story, um, uh, to me, this, this is, I, I just almost don't understand this. Um, there's a, a woman by the name of Mary Clark who uh, decided at 50 years old that she was going to go live in a prison in Mexico. And not just any prison, uh, this was uh, the Tijuana La Mesa, La Mesa prison, um, and this is for thousands of Mexico's most dangerous criminals. And in 1994, this, this, uh, this is long before this, but this woman decided to go live in this place, okay? In 1994, um, a huge riot broke out. Electricity was cut, guards were taken hostages, their guns were taken um, and uh, there were all kinds of, uh, you know, there was a fire that broke out. The military was called in, surrounded the, present, uh, the, the prison. And in the midst of all this, Mary Clark, who at 50 years old decided to, to uh, leave her, 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 uh, her life and become a nun who lived in this prison, um, five foot two inch became Mother Antonia, started walking through the prison. At this point, she had, uh, she had lived there because uh, the living conditions weren't all that great. And she was, she was providing uh, things to care, uh, medicine, um, humanity, uh, you know, to the people who lived there. And in the midst of, of this riot, uh, she began to walk through the halls calling, calling for peace. Now, uh, she was well-liked by both prison guards, warden, and prisoners alike. And so everybody was telling her, look, this, this, is, 
this is just a bridge too far. This is a little bit too dangerous for even you. You, you need to get to safety, and you need to let us kind of handle it. And yet, she continued to walk through, and, and some of the crowd, uh, some of the prisoners started following her. Um, there's, a, there's a whole book about, about her life that you could check out. Uh, and she quietly addressed the prisoners as she always did, calling out, my sons. And she said, the guns. Give me the weapons right now, sons. Give them to me. God is watching. God is with us, and we're going to help you. Long story short, um, they laid down their weapons, the riot ceased, and Mother Antonio, um, Antonia uh, Mary Clark negotiated uh, better living condition, conditions for the prisoners who lived there in the prison. Um, she took their grievances to the warden, and conditions quickly improved. And here's what she said about all of this. She said, I'm hard on crime, so she had no problem with justice being served. That, that's not, not, not the issue, and that's not what love is. Love is not the removal of justice. I'm, not, I'm, I'm hard on crime, but not on persons. She said, everyone deserves to be treated with dignity. And, and if I could amend her words, I think what she's trying to communicate here is we, at some point, when, when the way that God calls us to love one another, we have to recognize um, the image of God that exists within God's other created human beings. Um, the prison warden later, later on uh, said, uh, you know, there's no other way to describe her. She's a saint. Uh, Mother Antonio, she was, uh, Antonia, she was born Mary Clark. She grew up in Beverly Hills in the 1930s. She was a striking blonde beauty. She was connected, you know, in all the right ways. She had two failed marriages, seven kids, ran the family business. But she decided to leave that life and live in a prison cell for 30 years, not because she didn't believe in punishment, but she believed that everyone deserves a chance to be loved because God first loved us. And I can't help but share this story when we talk about the type of agape love that God calls us into, that he gives to us freely, and he asks us to uh, reciprocate in kind, not just to him, but to one another. Um, because if this is how Mary Clark was compelled to treat and love her society's enemies, I'm not saying that you need to like, leave your life and your family and go live in a prison. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's calling you to do that. Um, but how much more are we compelled to love each other as disciples? And how much more compelling, conspicuous should the love that we're called to share truly be? In John chapter 13, Jesus is telling his disciples that the world will know that we are his followers by how they love each other. And consequently, how they love others. Because God told us, Jesus said, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's an impressive love. Um, but it has to be shared to be experienced. And it has to be experienced to be shared. And it's not just an uh, ethereal idea that God calls us to have. It's something that he calls us to put into practice. And we start to experience it when we start to share it. In a world that's so chaotic and so divisive, this hurdle of love and a life with God is the most significant obstacle we face. This is the thing probably that keeps us uh, feeling closer to God than anything else in, in, in our life. It's understanding this level of love that God has for us. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves who has been, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I would love for you to continue to read uh, verses 13 through 18 as well, but I'm going to skip down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We talk about the motivation, the way that we're called to live in a life with God or just experience our world. Like th- This would be a great summary. We love because he first loved us. But there's some things that we've learned about love because we live in a world and bro- broken by sin uh, that has kind of damaged our understanding of what that looks like. I don't know. Do you remember your first love? I don't know. Like, element, was it elementary school? You know, um, I don't know. Was it little Billy, you know, or Sally, you know, there, there in the class you looked over and you just had no idea. You just you made eye contact and then... I don't know, the stars align, the heavens open, you know, the sunlight came down, ha, ah, you know, this amazing thing. And then, you know, he kicked you in the shin and you cried and, and, and that's all there was. You know, you remember that first, first love. Can you trace your, your, through your life the way, you know, the timeline of your love, the way that you have been loved and the way that you have loved in return? I think if we looked, like, looked at that, we'd have all kinds of, we'd, we'd all of us have a book. And we'd have all kinds of uh, lessons that we've learned, and we'd probably draw all kinds of different, there'd probably be some unique conclusions, I think, that we'd come to, too. I, I really hope that you have fond memories, but I also know, like me, you're going to have some bittersweet ones, and you're absolutely going to have some painful ones as well. Um, that, that's never something that God wanted us to experience when it came to love, but it's just, it, that, that is part of our experience, and he knows that. It's only natural to quantify and qualify our love based on our experiences of how we've been loved and how we've loved other people in return. However, um, <clears throat> there's, there's one thing in particular that I think we have to unlearn to understand what God really wants us to know about his love for us. Uh, here's how love has been ruined for us. Is we, we've, um, all of us at some point in our life have had to unlearn the lie that love is transactional. Um, and you know what I mean when I say that, right, is that love becomes a performative thing, that if you do this for me and I do this for you, that we, we've got a great relationship. It's, it's going it's it's to be good. But as soon as, man, as soon as you forget to do that thing that you're supposed to do for me, I am going to assume the worst about you. You are a terrible human being. How dare you? not think of me in this moment and do the thing that you said that you were going to do. And, and that's, that tends to be how we think about those things. Um, that tends to be how our culture thinks about those things. It's how it's portrayed in popular media. Um, that's the way even that we think about things. Like, I, I mean, just any kind of normal meme that exists at this point has this type of idea that if you aren't performing in the right way for me, I'm going to move on to somebody who does. And I'm going to continue to do that until I find you know, that, that perfect someone. Well, guess what? You're going to keep looking for a long time. Uh, the, the transaction of love completely undermines the love that God created for us to experience and the love that he sustains. The truth is that God's love is relational. It's not predicated on your ability or my ability to fulfill my end of the bargain. It's, it's not about what you can do for me and what I can do for you. It's not about what I can do for God. It's about what he's already done for me and that the love is built on the fact that 
I exist and can be in relationship with him. And that's, that's it. That is the thing, that he created me and I am there. And that is what his love is based on. The benefits of the, that love are given through relationship, through Jesus Christ. And that, how, that is how God defines his love, because undefined love isn't love. But it is relationship. It is a relationship. It is relational, relational, and that is how God chooses to share it. This is the truth that we hold on to with faith and, and hope. It's the one thing that will overshadow and overpower any chaotic danger and fear and circumstance that we hold on to as a result of the conditional love we've experienced in our lives. First John chapter 4, verse 10, I just want to repeat this one verse. This is love. Not that we love God, not that because we, we completed the transaction on our, our end, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's what John is saying, and this can't be overstated, that God knows, has known, and will know you at your very worst, your deepest and darkest, and he still gave his very best so that you could know his love. It is not transactional. There's nothing about your life or my life in the face of God's holy glory that is deserving of his love. It wasn't, oh, I did a, I did a, I did a good job, and so now God loves me. Even our best is broken and filthy before him. And yet in what should be a condemnation for our sin and what should you know, keep our relationship with him broken for all time, God uses his goodness for our good and sends Jesus to be with us to redeem us for a life with him. Uh, John 3.16 is like the most famous Bible verse in the world. We, we know that, um, but do we, do we understand the depth of its meaning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, verse 17, into, his wor- into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's um, hard not to think transactionally and comparatively when we look at people around us. Man, I'm, I'm not nearly as bad as this person. I'm pretty lovable compared to so-and-so um, in the way that we think about how we treat other people and the type of love that God calls us into. There are a lot worse people out there than me. Is that okay for me to say? Um, it's true, so I think that's, that's fine. Does that make us uncomfortable? Is that, well, that, that wasn't funny, was it? Okay. <laughs> that is how we think, though, and that is often how we operate. But the more that we remember what we've been forgiven of and been forgiven to, the more peace and joy you will experience receiving God's love for you and for me. It's important to be reminded of how deeply lacking we are and have been before salvation, before Jesus. It gives us the perspective of how deep the Father's love for us truly is. Transactional love will always leave us empty. Power, success, beauty, relevance... Um, whether it's so you can love yourself or receive love from other people more, the only way that we can lay down empty pursuits that will not fulfill is being confident in the relational love that we've already been given by God. Henry Nouwen writes in Moving from Solitude, if you keep that in mind, the love of God, the agape love of God in mind, you can deal with an enormous amount of success as well as an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is that you are the beloved. Long before your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, your teachers, your church, or any people touched you in loving as well as in a wounding way, long before you were rejected by some person or praised by somebody else, that voice has been there always. I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
That love is there before you were born and will be there after you die. And so in a relationship with God and in a life with God, we are the objects of his love, and therefore he is the object of our love. And so we come to a choice when it comes to living out our life with God. We can either shape our own identity and our own pursuit of love and um, keep getting burned time and time again because all of those things are broken because we are. Or we can allow God to shape our identity with his love. And, and that's how we move from a transactional love to a relational one, is that we, we enter into the life with God that he created us for from the beginning. Every time we open up the Bible, and I hope you do, I, I really do, I, I hope you open up scripture at, at some point during the week and spend some time in it. I don't care if it's five minutes, I don't care if it's 50. Um, every time we read God's word in, in scripture, uh, we are given a better understanding of what his love really looks like. It is contextualized for us. It's defined for us. Um, and it's shown and proven to be true when we put those things into practice. And so as we read through the text, as we read narrative, as we read poetry, as we read history, um, as we read uh, apocalyptic literature, whatever those things are, it's reflecting the, the character and nature of life with God contextualized by love. And so as we read those things and we see how God calls us to live and he calls us into relationship with him, the commands, his words are not a demand to earn his love. They're simply how we experience it. And he's, he's letting us know what that looks like and how it is to happen. Because left on our own, we tend to relate to God in all the wrong ways. I mentioned before, we talked about four different character, you know, categories that we tend to relate to God to that are wrong. Um, that, that are not the life with God that he calls us into. And, and I just want to, one last time, give you a contrast for these four categories that we usually find ourselves in and how they miss out on a life with God and the love that he desires to share with us. Um, the first category that we've talked about is life under God. So as we think about this, as we think about the type of love that God wants to share with us, in a life under God, um, we have to consider ourselves as a sinner, we're a despicable being, which is true. Uh, th this, there's some element of truth to this. We are sinners. We're despicable beings. We're, uh, but we also have to consider ourselves as living under the constant threat of God's wrath and punishment, who must appease his will through strict obedience to moral and ritual commands. And yet this is not the message of the text, and this is not the gospel that God has shared with us. In a life over God, we have to consider, am I a manager? Am I an autonomous being who's been given a divine manual for operating my life and world and whose fate will ultimately rest upon how well I implement God's principles and instructions? If this is how we relate to God, there's only one thing that can be said. Good luck. In life from God, I have to ask, am I a consumer? A discontent being comprised of unmet desires and longings who demands all things, people, and even God to orbit around me and fulfill my expectations? Um, that, that would be an easy uh, description for generations of our culture. In a life for God, because this is the best one, right? Am I a servant, a worker, the best wrong one, I should say. Am I a servant, a worker created to fulfill a great mission? Yes, of course. But whose sense of value is inexorably linked to what I'm able to accomplish and the magnitude of my impact on the world? 
may it never be. When we remain under one of these categories, we're still trying to control our world rather than surrendering ourselves in faith to the confidence and hope that we have that the creator of our world wants to share with us in love. These are all each a form of law-keeping, you know, way to try to earn favor, to climb up the mountain. While there are truths evident in each of these, none of them encompass the entirety of our identity in Christ that is found in life with God based on love. As a disciple of Jesus, you're not simply a sinner, a manager, a consumer, or a servant. You are his beloved child. Towards the end of the love chapter, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, with God, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You may not understand God's love for you fully. Maybe you feel like you've got to earn it. I struggle with that all the time. Maybe you feel like you've got to get your life cleaned up first or some other thing. Maybe you think he owes you something first because of how you've been loved or not loved in your life. But here's the light that shines through the dim mirror reflection that we have that is on this side of the eternity that God wants us to experience now in a life with him. You're fully known and you're fully loved. And this is what life with God looks and feels like. like. You are fully known. Like, not just, I know how many hairs are on your head. Like, I've seen in the deepest, darkest recesses of your mind. I, I, I know your thoughts in the quiet. I've seen when you've been by yourself what you've done. You're fully known. The best of you and the worst of you and everything in between. And yet God's love is relational and you are fully loved. He is still, despite knowing that, there's not a person that we know that God said, yeah, Jesus is for everybody, but maybe not him. <laughs> well, her. You are fully known and you are fully loved. If you feel stuck outside of a life with God, it may be because you haven't allowed yourself to experience that type of love. And, and to appreciate how, how deep of a place that comes from and, and, and how the gospel in Scripture and how it's portrayed and how it's lived out by the people of God is so unique to anything else that exists in human experience. Three different loves that are, that are represented in Scripture. Storge, you know, that familial love, the phileo, brotherly love, and agape. There's three different, uh, that, that self-sacrificial, godly love that transcends circumstances. Three different opportunities um, that we have in so many different categories and areas of our life to think about people and think about the way that God has called us to interact with them in such a different way so that when we talk about what a life with God looks like, people see our love for one another and they know exactly what to do and exactly what it's supposed to look like and exactly what it's supposed to feel like. When we think about people like Mother Antonia and whatever you think about her decision to do what she did with, with her life, when we think about the practical um, output of how she interacted with people and handled the situations that, we're, that she was in, the most chaotic of scenarios that you could possibly find yourself in and see her reaction and what she did as a result of how God has loved her, that's when we start to put feet on an understanding of how deeply God has loved us. When we look at the other person and we think about love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, or love your neighbor as yourself, and we think, well, how do we do that? How am I even supposed to love myself? 
it's not supposed to be defined by how we feel about ourselves. It's supposed to be defined by how God treats us and how he feels about us and what he's done through Jesus for us. Our identity is not rooted in some other transaction that takes place in this world. It's rooted in God's eternal love for you. And that's what a life with God looks like. It's, it's the surrender that comes from faith that builds confident hope that, that God is there and his love is a sure foundation for how we move forward in this life with him and with one another. Let's pray. God, um, I, I, don't, I don't think we can fully comprehend how deep your love is for us. How, um, how far-reaching it truly is. So God, we, um, I just ask that you remind all of us, remind me with your Holy Spirit how we're supposed to think about the, the situations that we find ourselves or the people that we are in relationship with and how love is supposed to be a measure for that. It's supposed to be the, uh, a foundation for how we move forward and understand who we are in your eyes. The self-sacrificial love of Jesus that we, we celebrate and we come together and worship you and give you glory for every week is, is something that um, we never want to think about casually. So God, we just help you, we ask you to help us, um, guide us through your Holy Spirit to um, understand, to appreciate, and to live out the type of love that you continually give and offer to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.